Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Kentuckian Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, let's get started with this episode. This is actually my second recording of it. Um, I sort of ran out of time, so I'm going to have to go quickly through this first part. I got a little too stuck up or slowed down on the first section of this. So we're going to go right into things, and I hope that you all enjoy this episode. So we're going to talk about a particular aspect of socialism and communism. Once again, I will be using those mostly interchangeably. I'll probably use socialism most of the time. Um, I understand there are some differences, but for simplicity and for what we're doing in this podcast, I'll stick with the generalization. I want to talk about socialism and communism's supposed or apparent morality. Many people that maybe aren't even hardcore socialists will support what we might call minor socialist policies because it's moral or it seems like the good or right thing to do. This includes how it may relate to Christianity even. because There's many people, although ironically people that often are not Christians themselves, that will assert that a good Christian or a, a decent person or just a moral right person would support this policy or that government action or this part of socialism because they're good people, because it's the moral thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But let's really dig into some of this. Is it really moral? Is it a Christian's responsibility? Is it really overall the right thing to do uh, in, 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 in many cases, again, whether it's soft core socialist, socialist policies or, or full-blown socialism. So let's dig in. Let's find out. Now, there's a lot of reasons why, why they would claim that socialism or parts of socialism are moral. If I were to sum up most of them, it would be you know things like people shouldn't have to suffer. They should be able to get food and shelter. People shouldn't be taken advantage of by big companies. Uh, and, and, and you all have probably heard many of these arguments on the surface. They sound real good, right? But, and I, I want to wait a second because there may be real problems. Now, not everything that people bring up isn't a problem. I'm not saying that that the system that we have right now or that capitalism in general is, is totally 100% perfect. But is socialism, the redistribution of wealth and everything involved in that governmental system, really an actual viable or moral solution? I understand I really I got into some of the the deeper arguments for socialism and let's just say it would be difficult to summarize them all up. I'm already kind of pushed for time in one sense. I'm going to have to make sure I, I move through things relatively quickly. So I have to generalize and choose where I'm going to focus my efforts. Of course, we're talking about morality in this case. Um, I think I would probably do some separate episodes on some of these specific sets of arguments, but right now let's just let's focus in on the some of the main moral arguments about socialism or for socialism and communism. And if I were to sum those up, I would basically say that they say or they want to make sure use the government to make sure that everyone gets their fair share, that they get that people get what they deserve based on the work that they do. They say that capitalism is a system divided by class. They, they specifically mention two classes, the 1% and the 99%. The 1%, this is a quote, the 1% who owns the wealth and the means to produce wealth, and the rest of us, the 99% who sell their labor to produce profit for the 1%. That's from socialistalliance.org. Their claim is that socialism destroys that class division so that everyone can live fulfilled lives and there can be environmental stability and everything's hunky-dory, right? Uh, 
They claim that under capitalism, business owners desire for profit. Their their um, main motivator of producing money right for their company takes precedence over the rights of workers. They even go so far as to say that supposedly under capitalism, the what they quote what they call quote the good of the nation or good of the nation, um, basically the moral. Um, edifice, the, the, the moral high point of the nation is what is good for employers and harmful to workers. They make that claim that that's the case under capitalism. They claim that there's no equality or justice under capitalism because, you know, it's just the, the interest of the 1%. They, they basically run everything. They claim that the police are guards for capitalist interest instead of protectors of the people. Uh, most social issues, things like homosexuality, um, transgenderism, feminism, all these different social justice issues of the day, the ones that are front and center anyway, the style of social justice issues, if you will, they claim are simply derived constructs by the 1% that keep the 99% divided so that they won't rise up and stop the 1%. They claim that education is a human right, that under capitalism it's a commodity and that has to change. They also claim that the media will be people-powered and that the government will be truly democratic under socialism. The people will truly be represented under socialism. Of course, they also claim that the rich people need to pay their fair share of taxes. They make so much more money than the people at the bottom, right? No one should should live in poverty. They, they talk about that. They make that argument. So raise the minimum wage. You know, nobody should, should be allowed to, to make so much more money when people are in poverty. They, they make that argument as well. Um, they say that we can get rid of unemployment. We can employ everyone because everyone has an assigned job. Everyone uh, is not controlled by the 1%. They claim healthcare is a right, not a privilege, so it should be provided to everyone regardless. And, of course, I think you all can pick up a lot of this sounds like social justice issues of today. Interesting. Almost like many of most of those issues have more to do with a pushing a political ideology than fixing any real or potentially real problems in the world. So let's break down some of these arguments. Are they really actually moral or moral re moral solutions to what they claim are problems? Are they even real problems in some cases? And on the endless surface, some of them, I will admit, seem logical on the surface. So they seem fair on the surface, but let's dig into them a little bit. Okay, so they have the whole 99 and 1% thing, the class division and all that. They basically claim that 1%, the super rich own everything, and the rest, the 99%, have to sell their labor to them, which produces profit for the 1%. Okay, that's just patently untrue. A lot of people own large parts of the economy. There's private practices of, of doctors and lawyers and things like that. There's small businesses. There's people that have generated their own enter entertainment platforms, you know, comedians and singers and, and, and all sorts of people like that, uh, even independent movie companies sometimes. There's large parts that are people just working for themselves, right? Whether they have a small business or, or in some cases even a uh, what we wouldn't consider a conventional small business, but like independent contractors, people that they're, the job that they've specialized in is so unique or um, for whatever reason, is actually something that you can independently contract. So people or companies or factories will hire you to go around the country and, and do that one specific job because they either can't find people or it's too expensive to keep someone on hire that can do that job. 
Um, I've heard of one particular instance of somebody that was a professional in fiber optics. And that was something that would just, there were so many few people that could do whatever it was he could do. He got shipped all around the country to work on this stuff and he was paid extremely well. Okay. And of course, there's also mixed in with that, um, the idea that the system of the 1%, the 99% uh, keep people from being fulfilled unless you're in the 1%. And of course, the idea that the 99 and the 1% at least to that extreme exist is, is not true. There's plenty. I mean, again, I, I think, I forget what percentage of the entire economy is small businesses. At one point it was around 50%. I don't know what the number is right now. I know COVID has hurt a lot of that pretty badly. Um, but I would assume it's still pretty close to that number. I mean, that's a lot more than 1%, right? Or 99% or however they want to break it up. I mean, it, it's, it's just not true. Um, but then, of course, there's the fulfillment thing, which I don't want to get into too much detail. We don't have time to because this is one of those things where socialism is as much a worldview as it is anything else. And you get into some of the philosophies of communism. Uh, some of the stuff that Karl Marx wrote had to do with like what was a f what was fulfilling to people in their work and, and all sorts of different stuff. I don't have time to get off on that. Um, that would probably be a, another good episode to do on its own. Um, but basically, the thing we got to remember there is that people being fulfilled or fulfillment in life does not come from the things we possess, period. There's plenty of poor people that are totally happy, that live completely fulfilled lives. Of course, people in the middle class that are like that and plenty of rich people that are like that. And there's also plenty of rich people, poor people, and middle class people that aren't fulfilled, that don't that aren't happy. Happiness and fulfillment does not come from the things we possess, period. From what we have access to, the stuff we can get. They claim um, also that, that basically, you know, the profit comes first to people's needs. Even when that conflicts, even when profit conflicts with what's good or safe for, for people, for employees, right? And while I would say that that could be the case from time to time, under capitalism... You have a choice, at least capitalism as it should be. In the United States, this is mostly the case. Um, you have a choice. If an employer is bad, guess what? You can quit and you can go find a job that offers better benefits. Because, see, there's a competition for workers that do a good job. If you do a good job, if you're the kind of worker that a company needs, you're not going to be the only company that needs that person because there's competition in general. But that means there's competition for the best workers. There's only a limited number of workers, and companies need the best that they can get. And so they have to, to consider how much they're willing to offer in order to get that person to come here. And that can be environment, that can be money, that can be other benefits, whatever, right? And so what this competition leads to, this competition for employees, for the best workers, is an employee employer, excuse me, has either an intrinsic or an ex extrinsic motivator to make their workplace better, truly better. Now, sure, under a socialist system, a government could, in effect, put a gun to every business's head and say, do this. You have to follow this standard to make sure the workplace is good for people. But there's two problems with that. One is, what if what the government says to do to make the workplace better is wrong? They're still people. They can still make mistakes. But if it's the government making that mistake, 
they are wrong, not just for one company, not just for a company that might make a stupid decision under capitalism. They're wrong for every worker at every company because they're controlling everyone. So the, the consequences of mistakes are much farther reaching, which also means they're less likely to get changed because there's no competition or no indicator, no, no motivator to change. But it also motivates companies. They have an extrinsic motivator, but not to actually make their business a better business or a better work environment, they have a motivator to make it look like they have a better work environment. Because, and I'd say many of us have had experience with this, you know the difference between a company that is actually trying to do good for its for its employees and a company that's trying to look good for its investors or for corporate or for government or whatever. And the thing is, the difference between capitalism and socialism is that Capitalism, because it has to do with simply people are going to buy what's best, employees are going to work at the best place to work, they have a motivator to make it truly better. Because you know if a company is actually meaning and actually producing results when it comes to generating a good work environment or whether they're not, whether they're just doing it for looks. But because in under socialism, you don't have that competition because you don't have the motivator to make real results because people can't leave. There's no choice. All they have motivation to do, if they're really only interested in greed, of course, or in money, of course, is to make it look like they're filling that standard. Because they, they look great when the inspector comes along, but they really don't mean it. It's just so they can get that check mark off on, the, on their box, right, on the checklist that they are filling that requirement. Of course, then you have corruption issues. They could pay off the inspector, whatever the case might be, right? But it's because it's just getting that check mark. It's not actually keeping keeping workers because you don't have a choice under socialism or they're much more limited. You don't have that competition that we've been talking about. The idea that, that they state that greed is the good of the nation or like the, the moral high point of a nation is, is quite frankly, ludicrous. They, and not from the sense that it couldn't be that, that that couldn't be the case, but the sense that capitalism causes that by nature. That would not happen because of capitalism. If that was the case, it would be, be because of a lack of morality in the people in general. Capitalism doesn't foster that. doesn't necessarily foster virtue either because it's sort of about individual responsibility and individual choice. However, and again, we're not focusing on that anyway. However, socialism does by nature because of how they argue what the issues are, why the reason you need socialism, all these different things, it does pitch you against others. Right, the ninety-nine percent against the one percent, powerful against the non-powerful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that fosters a person to be overly defensive when you think you've got an enemy on every side, and that oftentimes turns to selfishness and hate because you only care about yourself and keeping yourself safe. And then that often turns to greed and envy, which is the very problem they su are supposedly trying to fix. Now they make the statement about the police being guards for the one percent rather than protectors of the people. Now, ironically, this is in sort of a roundabout way actually kind of correct. In a free society, police are protectors of private property and they're enforcers of the law. They're peacekeepers. Their job is not truly to keep people safe because the core of safety is in the hands of the people, not the government. If it's not the government's job to keep people safe, then it's not the police's job to keep people safe. The government is there because it's about individual responsibility, because it's about freedom and making your own choices. The government is there to simply protect what is by right the people's, the right to choice, right? 
the right to freedom, the right to individual responsibility. And we want, like I said, we're actually going to kind of come back to that. But um, in the order we were going, we talked about the social issues thing. We're not really going to spend much time on that. We don't have time. And we've already talked about it before, uh, actually. And um, we've also just don't really have time to fit it in because it doesn't really fit in well anyway. I think I've actually talked about that in a previous episode, I think. But um, we, we've already talked about it some already. Okay, so then they claim that education is a human right and it's not a commodity. Okay, why? The idea of human rights has nothing to do with something that is helpful or important to a person to be productive, as they put it. Um, that's kind of the argument they make, that education is necessary, so it's a human right. Um, innate rights, human rights, actual rights, as in the sense that the Founding Fathers talked about them and how we should think about them, not privileges, not opportunities, rights, that human are, are things that humans have by nature endowed by their creator life liberty which would be the freedom to live responsibly as we've talked about in the last episode and especially which also want to take just a minute if you haven't listened to last episode which would be episode 11 i would highly suggest you check that episode out um i think it came out very well and i think a lot of people would like it um please give that a listen give that a try and uh i think you will hopefully be impressed if if it not at least encouraged um, and of course, so there's life, liberty, and then the pursuit of happiness, which again, as we talked about last episode, is more of the freedom to pursue fulfillment within the bounds of God's moral code, right? They talk about fulfillment, but they equate fulfillment with having the right stuff. Whereas in our system or, our, or the way our system should be, fulfillment comes from, or the pursuit of happiness comes from pursuing what we desire within the bounds of God's moral code, because we as free people have that responsibility. That's why things like the right to self-protection, the right to property, the right to freedom of speech, the right to a fair and speedy trial, and so on, are actual rights protected in the Constitution. They are natural processes in humans ordained by God. They are things that we require being children or creations of God. Intelligence is a trait of humanity, certainly. Um, and thus we have the freedom of speech, right? That we have the, the right to free speech, the right to the free exchange of ideas, but access to education is not included in that. That's a choice. You can choose how long you go to school. You can choose what education you get, right? Because you can learn a lot of different things. You can't learn everything. So you have to choose. But then why does some person get to decide what education is a right? What standard are they using? It's just not. It's just not a human right. We have the right to choose to be educated, to educate ourselves, if that's our choice. But education in and of itself is not a right. You could make the argument it's a responsibility, and I think you could make a strong argument that it's a responsibility. But it is not the government's responsibility to provide that. It's an individual's responsibility to access that of their own accord or to provide it for their children, or what have you. I would like to spend more time on that. I just don't have time. Uh, the media thing, the idea of media being people-powered, is really closely connected to the idea that the country would be truly democratic, as they put it, so the state-controlled media would, in essence, be controlled by the people. Now, even if socialism led to a true democracy, which we really don't see, um, just straight democracy anyway, direct voting of the people, 
what if people change their mind? We've seen how socialism tends to work. We've seen that according to them, it's, it's kind of like utopia, right? That's how people should be living in order to be fulfilled. So even if they want to change from socialism, which suppo is supposed to provide perfect democracy, are they allowed to? Because then they're going to basically throw away that democracy. They're going to throw away that utopia. They're going to throw away fulfillment. But like, are they going to or are they allowed to? Does that even make sense? And even if they are allowed to, it gets to the fundamental problem with democracy. If they're allowed to throw away utopia or perfection or however a socialist wants to put it, even communism, because again, you get in some of the philosophical stuff, don't have time, would love to talk about it, but I know I'm moving fast. I've got to get through some of this to make sure I have time to finish up. Uh, obviously, a lot of these things could probably warrant their own episodes, and some of them I will definitely make my own episodes on. Um, but the thing is, is if you're allowed to vote out socialism, then you get to the fundamental problem of democracy, because according to them, it's the perfect solution or basically the perfect solution. The desires of the majority, the whims of the majority outweigh the natural rights of the minority. Whether that's rights according to the way they, they're defined in, under the Constitution, the way the founding fathers talked about them, or rights that socialism provides, if people can just vote those away then you have the problem with straight democracy. It's nothing but mob rule. When there's no standard for rule, except whatever the people's whim is, there's no standard for anything. There's no standard for rights. There's no standard for law. There's no standard for justice. It's just public opinion. So for it to work practically in socialism and communism, someone has to be pulling the strings just to practically manage all these resources. So presumably the people would elect representatives. Of course, then you have the bureaucracy issue. Um, but then the funny thing is, if you elect representatives to take care of this, which in general is how it works and how they would, would probably say it should work, you've basically just given absolute power to a few people or maybe one person in certain cases, in certain dictatorships. You've given all this power to control people's lives to one person, which you claim is the very problem that capitalism has and that socialism is supposed to fix because if somebody, somebody's got to manage it, and so now you've given a one people or one small group all the power that you say the 1% has, but now you've given it to the one entity that has no real checks on it aside from the people armed uh, under, in our case, like the Second Amendment. Because at least the, the, the big companies theoretically have the government to keep them in check. They do answer to someone, even though that government could be corrupt. So now you've just given that power to the people that already have the the ability, not always the right, but the ability to just kill people or to, to have armies and to all these different things that can cause tyranny extremely easy. Of course, then there's the tired old argument that the rich need to pay their fair share. And you know what? I agree. They already pay far more in taxes by percentage than anyone else. Rich people need a tax break in this country. Why do they pay more? Assuming, of course, that they've obtained their wealth legitimately, what right does anyone have to take it away? If they paid at the same rate as everyone else, they would still pay more than anyone else, but they would be paying their fair share. Why should a rich person have to pay 60% in taxes when Joe Schmo, who pays, you know, who makes much less, only pays 30%? Now, the actual tax rates are a whole other issue, but why are they? They're not paying their fair share. They are paying not only more literal money which would make sense if the rate was the same, they're paying far more by proportion. Of course, then there's the argument of illegal loopholes. And again, I would say if there's illegal loopholes, yeah, that, that's a problem. 
but then it still kind of gets to the problem. They can get away with that because they can use corrupt government officials. You have people getting too much power. And if people get too much power, if that's the issue, that can happen under capitalism. That can still happen under socialism. But like we said, under socialism, that's sort of like by definition because someone has to manage basically all things that we've given the government access to. Money is not the only currency of greed. It could be resources, could be influence, whatever. The economist Walter E. Williams said, but let me offer you my definition of social justice. I keep what I earn and you keep what you earn. Do you disagree? Well, then tell me how much of what I earn belongs to you and why. The economist Thomas Sowell said, I have never understood why it is greed to want to keep the money you've earned, but not greed to want to take somebody else's money. And that gets to a lot of the problems with socialism. And we're about out of time. I'll talk about the minimum wage a little bit. Uh, maybe I can talk about it in a separate episode. Um, but the, what it boils down to, they, they, they make the argument, well, people should be able to make a living wage if they're working. I would ask why. If you're not doing a living wage job, why are you getting paid a living wage? There are things called entry-level jobs. Not all jobs are meant to be stayed at for all of your existence. Different jobs have different purposes. Uh, we can get into some of the consequences. I don't have time. I need to move on. Um, one other thing I want to point out about um, minimum wage and some some social safety nets is, well, for one, they say they want they want a, a federal minimum wage that's much higher. That's a living wage, quote unquote. But living wages change throughout the country, throughout different states. So a one-size-fits-all solution is not a solution at all. It doesn't fix anything. It just causes more problems. Um, you should have the arguments that people should be taken care of. You get to things like you know disability and stuff like that. I would, I would say that in a sense they have a point, but why is that the government's responsibility? It's the responsibility of families, communities, neighbors, so on. Um, we can talk about that some more. I'm just going to have to move on. Um, so I wish I could talk about it more, but we just are almost out of time. Um, one more thing is the healthcare part. And again, we won't spend much time on that. Again, I, I would what I may do is make another episode and talk more just about minimum wage and healthcare or mostly about that. Um, but why do you have the ability to to force someone to provide you health care? You have the ability to to pay for health care, to to educate yourself, to treat yourself. Uh, you know, and somebody else has the right to decide to become a doctor or a dentist or whatever. But why do you have the right to force someone to give that to you for free? Because it's not just it doesn't magically appear. Someone provides that someone else with free will, someone else with their own wants and needs. Now, how does all this relate to Christianity? We'll talk about this real briefly. Um, we may even kind of break this into a two part where I spend some more time. Uh, actually, I think because of how much time we have left, I'm going to I'm going to very quickly sum up the Christianity part. And this will actually be the first part, and the second part will deal with um, minimum wage, health care, and Christianity for the most part, and how, how all these things relate to, to a Christian's moral impetus uh, as servants of God. Um, because in many ways, in general, the Bible does indicate that Christians need to take care of people when they're able to, when the, when the opportunity affords itself. But the Bible never indicates that government has a responsibility to do that or that Christians have the obligation to support the government in taking what others have earned and giving it to those that have not earned it, whether whether it's a good reason, supposedly or not. Right. The, these giving and helping behaviors are for individual Christians. And that's what you have to remember. We'll go into more detail probably in the next episode.
So I hope you found this interesting and helpful. Like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll turn this into a two-parter. We'll talk about some more specific things. Um, next episode, it might be a little shorter. We'll see. Uh, but socialism, socialism just doesn't have moral superiority. Even if you take God out of the picture, it doesn't make sense. It's still baseless as a mode of communal living. We've talked about all the, a lot of the issues. Their proposed solutions, if they're not based off outright lies, even if they're talking about real problems, they create more problems than they attempt to solve. Uh, and again, understand, I'm not saying capitalism is perfect. It's run by imperfect people, and I'm not saying that there are no problems with the way, th way things are set up in this country. Got a little tongue tied there. Um, actually, I'm going to do an episode on some of the issues that are in America today uh, when it comes to policy and things like that. But what I am saying is that socialism or communism are neither practical nor moral solutions to the, the issues that may actually exist. Which, of course, more we can address, but I'm going to leave it there for now. If you like what I do and want to help the Kentuckian grow, you can do many things. You could share this episode with friends and neighbors, post links on social media, listen to more episodes that I have. Like I said, I would highly recommend the last episode, episode 11. Uh, even if you just recommend this podcast or this episode to one person, it makes a difference. If you'd like to help me in a more personal way, my Patreon is linked in the description below. Please reach out to me with feedback, suggestions, or topics of Subjection, suggestions for man, I get tongue tied again for topics or areas of improvement. Uh, reach out to me with questions and comments. And remember, folks, that as long as you and I are doing the right thing, we will make a real difference in this world. The Kentuckian trying to make a difference one person at a time.